One and two are an old married couple. Like one is a boy, two is a girl. For me, a forest is a very social place. That makes sense. Thank you for saying that. Your coaching, like I will, you know, scream that from the rooftop. It helped me understand my own experience of my world and I'm so much better equipped to share it because you coached me. What we spoke about it was like a completely new door appeared and we walked into it and was like whoa. To me math is, is, is art, it's creative, it has a creative nature. <laughs> All right, hello hello, welcome back to Let's Talk Synesthesia, I'm Micah as you probably know, and today here with me in the virtual studio is Jenna French. Hi, Jenna, and good morning to Texas. Good morning. I'm especially happy about today's episode because it's a first in terms of you're the first previous coaching client of mine that is now on the podcast and we can have a bit of a catch up on what happened since our last session, which is really exciting for me to hear. We're going to talk about mathematical synesthesia, concept shape synesthesia, as well as ordinal linguistic personification synesthesia, a bunch of complicated terms. <laughs> Before we're going to dive into that, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself a bit. So again, my name is Jenna French. Um, I am a geometry teacher in uh, Texas. I am actually a new teacher to professionally teaching. However, uh, I've been tutoring and teaching in that sense for like five years now. So uh, my bachelor's degree is in mathematics and I really in the next year am wanting to get a master's degree in mathematics education because of how fascinated I am with mathematics education and how my synesthesia affects my ability to create lessons and come up with ways to explain things that nobody else has come up with. So yeah, that's me. What you just said that you are coming up with like phrases and learning kind of resources that nobody else came up with. And images. Images, right. Yes, I remember. That was actually what made you reach out in the first place, that you felt like yes, there are so many situations where you explain things to students or also people that were much older than you. And they were like, oh my God, that makes so much sense now. Why did nobody else explain that to me earlier? Yes, constantly. And it's new things every day now, especially since we've done coaching and I can lean into it and know and be aware of what my synesthesia tends to do. The three goals, we only had a couple of sessions, but the three goals we had in those sessions were one, just for you to understand yourself better and to would challenge your perception and all the stuff that was so buried, I would say almost, because they were like they were never talked about. So we kind of unburied them <laughs> by asking questions. Yeah. The second thing was helping you getting closer to uh maybe writing a book about those 
ideas and concepts and images you have or at least find a way to use those concepts for your job as a teacher um, and the third one was to put it out there on the podcast because what was so frustrating for you is that there wasn't really any resource about it other than a couple descriptions about what it might be a couple like statements from people but there isn't really much out there about mathematical synesthesia right very little yeah what's the form you would like to start with we have OLP mathematical and concept shape synesthesia I would like to start with OLP because I think it's a good introduction yeah because it's more it's the most like commonly known about form of synesthesia that I experience so it's a good introduction to my experience I agree so much I think it's also amongst those forms the most common one relatively yeah. it's not that common but a lot of synesthetes have personifications for either numbers or letters or month of the year or objects so we're gonna look at that and I think it was yeah. also where we started in the coaching because it was just a great yes. base to start from I looked up some definitions online this one is from Wikipedia very sophisticated <laughs> <laughs> ordinal linguistic personification or OLP is a form of synesthesia in which ordered sequences such as ordinal numbers days month and letters are associated with personalities or genders so for OLP in comparison to other personification synesthesia forms it refers to a ordinal concept numbers letters or the concept of time so what do you personify Jenna so the thing that we started with that I heavily heavily personify and have personified since I was probably seven eight probably younger are numbers <laughs> unsurprisingly they have always had genders um, and personalities but also like relationships with each other where like one and two are an old married couple and three and four are a couple as well oh and I didn't mention like one is a boy two is a girl three is a boy four is a girl two is more of a classical like old-timey like a woman older versus four is Four makes me think of like a mom, if that kind of makes sense, like a little younger, but not like super young. I always tell people that it sounds made up whenever I talk about it. But if you were to ask me the same question months from now, I would give you the same answers, the same, maybe not like word for word, but I would still give you, especially with their genders and their relationships. Uh, it is very, very set in stone. But what we discovered through coaching is that that also applies to letters. Um, and they're also on the gender spectrum. You know, they're not all just binary. And I also believe that the numbers 1 through 10 are just set in stone because they, they are the basis within I do everything else in math. So they're very, very, very important to me. They're the foundation of everything else that I do. Exactly. Yeah. 
you reading that definition made me feel better actually about the other forms of OLP that I've described because I was thinking about how I personify the the trig- trigonometric functions and the derivatives of trigonometric functions because it's a list. It is a, it is mm-hmm. a list of these different trig functions, these trigonometric functions and their derivatives and I personify them in relation to each other and what their derivative means with respect to them as like their persona. So what you've realized just now is that they are, they also come in a list. They're also ordinal linguistic. Yes. Yes. The other thing I remembered or just what I found really, really cool is after we spoke about numbers and letters, we went into the other base of your mathematical day-to-day, which is the plus sign, the minus sign, pi, and all those other symbols that I can only say in German. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again for me. Sinus and cosinus are what in English? Sine and cosine. Exactly those. That kind of thing. Yes. (laughs) um yeah and they happen to have a personality or at least a gender all of them which opened like yes what we spoke about it was like an apartment and a completely new door appeared and we walked into it and was like whoa yes and i that door being open just opened up a complete different perspective on my experience like complete complete different different perspective And we went as far as over time realizing that I personify math concepts. Yeah. Like I think the perfect example was when we were talking about me trying to explain transformations of parabolas and quadratic functions and how in trying to think about how to explain it, I had whenever I saw how it works I suddenly had this story appear in my mind of, oh, these two functions are next to each other and one is being sneaky and it looks ahead of the other one and it goes, I'm going to do that. And then it does it before (laughs) it. And it wasn't anything that I like thought super hard about. It was just like in trying to explain it, I was like, oh, they're like little people and they like... (laughs) yeah they just were suddenly they were people without me having to think about it I don't remember who said it but I read it somewhere maybe it was Julia Simner that those that live with OLP live in an extremely social world yes yes and that's that's what it is right it's so social it's not just numbers it's not just paper and black lines on it that make sense and it's it's kind of exciting which is good enough. I mean, a lot of people are really passionate about mathematics without having synesthesia, but I feel like for you, it's very social. It's very engaging because it makes so much sense and there's so much happening and developing as you do calculations or think about the concepts. Yeah, definitely. And what did you observe in the classroom? Is it... In what ways is it helpful to bring your social ideas of numbers to the classroom for people that I'm the majority of your students don't have synesthesia? Yeah. So how is it helpful to them? It's helpful because it's silly and yeah. 
they remember stuff that's just like out of the water. I actually have a really good example. This past week, week and a half, we were talking about logical statements and conditional statements. So if hypothesis, then conclusion. And there's different ways of organizing the hypothesis and conclusion, and they have confusing names. So they're called like the converse versus the inverse. And I was trying to give them ways of remembering it. And when I was thinking about how to explain converse, I was like, oh, they're like converse shoes. And they have little shoes on. And then they like run around and they swap places with each other. And so uh, <laughs> the kids just, you know, were like, what? Okay. <laughs> they're just like, we're like, all right. And no, you're so right. It's so silly in the best way because it just images pop up and they stick with you, especially when it's yeah. kind of a gray subject. Yeah. And also outside the classroom, I feel like OLP is so fun to discuss because it's like, I feel like it's the most lighthearted form of them all because it's so silly yeah. and social. Yes. Because people have such opposite ideas about personalities of numbers. Like the one and two being a married couple. I guess a lot of listeners are like, excuse me, what? Jenna, you are wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there also something about smaller numbers being older? Yes. If I remember correctly. And then yes, explain that. As you like one and two are definitely like the oldest numbers versus as you get to bigger and bigger numbers they f they are younger so like three and four like I described four as being like a mom like I'm thinking of her like being in her 50s still you know a, a not young per se but not as the old married couple that one and two are and then as I keep going like five and six are um in their you know 20s 30s as they keep going, they get younger and younger. And I think the youngest, I think that it fluctuates once we get into the numbers past 10 because they're combinations of numbers and that affects their personality. I would imagine one being a baby and then five a teenager and then nine is the old grandma. I think it's because like one and two are like the OGs, you know, they're the original... They're the ones that everything else is based on. They're the yeah, the numbers that we base everything on. They're the ones that are used the most. They're the ones that have gone through the most. Two is such a beautiful number. Two is the only even prime number. Mm -hmm. It is also the basis of computer programming because of binary. Mm -hmm. So like bits... Have you ever wondered why, like, you'll see, like, 8-bit, 64-bit, 128-bit? It's because they're all powers of two. Mm -hmm. Did I know all that when I was younger? No, but I don't think I ever thought of one and two as being, like, a baby or very young. When did it start? Like, when was the first yeah. day you thought about numbers like that? We will never know, but it's so, uh, so interesting <laughs> to think about that. <laughs> yes. Before we move on to concept shape synesthesia, just a couple sentences about personifications in general. Yesterday we met at the synesthesia community meetup 
And we also spoke about personifications briefly and how people just personify whatever comes their way, really. Like cutlery was, was a topic. Yes. For me, a big thing is also houses or buildings, buildings in general, trees. Like imagine being a, in a big forest, huge trees, they all look kind of different. Well, they look, look different, but some are more similar than others. And to me, they just, not in a spiritual sense, just I look at them and I'm like, yeah, that's a 60-year-old uncle. And it's fine. It's just there. Don't. It's not like I want to interact with the tree. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I it is so obvious. Yeah. I definitely think that I experience it past the mathematical thing. Obviously, it's the one that we've thought about that I've thought about the most and put more most thought into but thinking about the trees, I'm like, it's so it's so strange to think that the trees, I'm like, hard stop. Like, no, I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> but that's, well, it's so next weird. next time. <laughs> yeah. Next time you're in a forest or a park, you can look yeah. at that a bit more. But yeah. for me, a forest is a very social place. That makes sense. Thank you for saying that. That means a lot. <laughs> uh, what else do I personify? Sounds, for mm -hmm. sure. Weirdly, every time I say it and then there is a sound and someone would ask me, so what personification or gender had the sound? I can't say it. It's like not, I can't say it. It's like, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I Yeah, I definitely, I know what you mean. I think that's the one I will need coaching on because I I feel like it. I'm almost there. I almost have the words to describe it, but not yet. Yeah. So strange sometimes. What are your cutlery personifications? Spoon is definitely a girl. Fork and knife are boys. For some reason, when I think of the knife, I think of like Elvis. I don't know why. Like a 50s, like, I, yeah, like 50s, like suave, like, <laughs> I don't know why. That's okay. And then like, I don't know why I'm thinking of like 50s and 60s, like rock and roll, like Grease. The you've heard of the movie Grease? Like I don't know why that's what I'm thinking of when I think of the cutlery in general. I don't know why. Interesting. That's more than I expected. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 OLP for you. <laughs> that's cool. For me, fork and spoon are female. The knife is male and then they have female kids and they're just a happy kind of patchwork queer family and they're just vibing uh i see i see the fork is younger than the spoon for sure i agree with that i don't know why <laughs> but yeah no <laughs> yeah. I, I i definitely agree that's that's all i need okay let's move on to concept shape synesthesia so when we look it up, there are so many different words to or terms to describe it. Some of them are concept shape or thought process shape synesthesia or high production synesthesia, which is also very interesting, kinesthetic synesthesia, and then there's also concept understanding synesthesia. All different words trying to describe the same thing. We're not here to propose a solution, but we're here to yeah. exchange <laughs> our own experience of it. Um, I'm just going to read two uh, descriptions 
Um, and that's all, right. all from the com website. So if you want to dive into forms, it's just a great website, I think, for getting an overview of different forms. Um, okay. The term concept shape could refer to two types of synesthesia, one simpler and the other one more complex, where series or sequences of concepts trigger a concurrent of shapes. An example of the more simple type would be perceiving the concept of left as round and right as square, or associating each language with a different geometric shape. That makes sense so far. And then the second more complex type is triggered by concepts, ideas, information, categories, procedures, a thought process for problem solving or decision making. It evokes geometric shapes, lines and other forms and or dynamic colors as its concurrence, which are involuntary and consciously perceived visually as the synesthete thinks. Sounds right to me as well. What about you? Yeah, the one-off, the second type. What was it called again? Um, Just a more complex one. Yeah. That one is the one that I had so much trouble putting a name to because it is such a strong and confusing feeling because it's exactly as it's described it would be where I was thinking about a concept about how to explain math or how to explain something uh, and in trying to explain it I would just immediately have an image a geometric image with circles and squares and shapes and lines and colors uh, that would just come into existence and I would well, I say come into existence. I think it already existed in my brain, but as more of an abstract idea and in trying to not make it abstract to explain it to somebody else, it becomes shapes and colors when I unabstract it. That's, that's how it exists in my head. But what about when someone explains their story idea plan to you do you follow the story by developing something in your mind's eye when it's a story hmm, i'm not entirely sure at this exact moment it's a bit of a selfish question anyway because that that's just what it is for me and i'm trying to find someone who experiences the same thing i guess yeah but if i hear a story or I solve a problem for me or someone else. What happens is this white infinite space in my mind's eye pops up and then things move around. They're very dynamic. And what happens the most is that the relation between those forms or their proximity changes based on changes in the story or, you know. No, I, I think I know what you're talking about because I do maybe... That for me is triggered when I'm thinking really hard about something because mm -hmm. I can't say that I do that for like regular stories, but in relation to problem solving, I definitely think that I have that kind of thing in my head where infinite mm -hmm. white space, like you said, and uh, especially with, 
you know, math problems where they have objects in them and I'm trying to understand them in relation to the information given in a word problem. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely like in my head, especially now that I'm very proficient at doing math problems, organize. I don't know if that's similar or... No, I think it is. I think it's just different. I mean, it just describes the two professional backgrounds we have. Like you use it to understand those concepts. And for me, for example, I really use it in therapy and in coaching. Mm. And I think that's also why I'm so drawn toward uh, psychodrama as a way of doing psychotherapy where you use the whole room as a state they maybe have a problem in their family or at work and you use objects or chairs in the room and arrange them in a way that brings that inner logic of this is close to this one and they are like back to back and you just bring all of that inner logic and feeling that gut feeling and for me it's not a gut feeling I see it but for other people it's more of a feeling and you bring that to the room and I feel like that's what my mind's eye is doing what psychodrama is doing in a room is what I do in my head so every thought has a visual yes I definitely have the exact same thing I'll have times during a lesson where something will pop into my mind and I can see it happening. Like I have actually a really good example. We were talking about symmetry. Mm -hmm. And a student said out loud, it's when you put one piece, one half of a piece next to the other one. And mm -hmm. in my brain, knowing that was wrong, I literally thought of like half of a butterfly wing being mm. like copy pasted and putting it right next to it without flipping it. But they didn't realize that that's literally what they said. But that's immediately the visual that came to mind. And I had to stop and I had to go get a piece of paper and cut out a, a butterfly with the two wings the way that they're supposed to be and then one wing the way that they described it. And I was like, there's a difference between this, having this and just copying it over here versus having it open correctly. I do the exact same thing all the time. Yeah, that's such a good example also of your very associative way of thinking that we yes. spoke about and earlier. also hyperphantasia as well as well yeah. hyperphantasia is heavily involved in all of that concept yes synesthesia but the the concept shape specifically i just wanted to put out the examples that i have mm -hmm. so my favorite one is i have a whole um arrangement of circles and lines and dashed lines and squares. We're having to remember slash think about the derivatives of trigonometric functions and calculus. <laughs> All um, our non-English natives will thank you for that sentence. <laughs> yes. It's basically just six functions that mm -hmm. when you do something to them, they change into something else. And the thing that they turn into is hard to remember. But even when I was learning about them, I remember making like seeing in my mind the six circles. So there's six circles is a two by three. Um, and then there are minuses in three of the circles. And then there's a bunch of lines connecting 
the circles and there's a dashed line at the bottom. And then there's two arrows that go from the circle out from the two circles at the top right and right below it. And two of them, and this is where concept shape plays into OLP, like two of them, I was like, oh, they're narcissistic because they always include themselves in their derivative. (laughs) And that played into having it as a concept uh, in like the shape form. And then the other one that I just recently had come into existence was using a Venn diagram and circles to describe the naming rules, the naming convention with angles. So you have like a circle that's uh, the two letters of a line because you need two points to name a line because a line is a direct path between two points. And then you have another circle that has the other two letters. And when they overlap, well, they share a letter and that's the vertex of the angle. And that you name them that way. You wouldn't, you wouldn't name them in any, uh, in any other way besides making sure that you indicate the fact that that one that's overlapping is in the middle. And it just concept that popped out during class and I drew it out for my students and they were like, oh. And uh, what I'm wondering, since well, I saw those two concepts written out already because you, you shared some yeah um drawings with me so it's a bit easier i guess to imagine it but maybe we can just put it on instagram or somewhere so people have a bit of a visual to to what you're explaining only if you want to share it oh of course i want to share it yeah cool okay (laughs) where are you at with the process of like writing a book or a, a learning resource about this is that what's your mission I think that that will definitely be a huge part of my master's degree, especially, like I said, with getting a master's in math, mathematics education. Absolutely. That's the perfect degree to do it. Yeah. I also think that a big part of my mission with math is that it's really creative. It's a lot more creative than people think it is. And it was so funny sitting in a room, a a virtual room of artists uh, yesterday in the community meet and to hear how much their experience aligned with mine as, you know, a self-proclaimed mathematician, because to me, math is, is, is art. It's creative. It has a creative nature and people don't think about it that way. They think it's just a set rule set you know like just a set of rules that somebody came up with one day yeah to see um not only the art of it and the creativity of it but also the beauty of it because it's everywhere i mean i've been doing dance lessons with my fiance for our wedding uh it's been so awesome to see how the mathematical roots of dance us yeah. being able to understand math has made us more able to learn dances. Like we're talking about, we're talking about axes, you know, like whenever mm-hmm. you're spinning, whenever mm-hmm. the lead is spinning the follow, they have to have their hand at a certain place or else the axis will make them unstable or circles or. <laughs> yeah. I really want to use my hyperphantasia and the 
just my synesthetic experience of math educate people on how much deeper math is because people can sit here and say that it's beautiful and whatever all they want, right? But to see my very, very visual reality of math and to deny math being artistic is is counterintuitive, you know? I love yeah. it. I love how passionate you are about that. It it just <laughs> brings me so much joy. I wished I <laughs> I, I could talk about yeah. mathematics the way you do. <laughs> yeah, and I think something that I will tell people in general that my goal is with teaching in general is calculus education because whenever I was tutoring it, I had so many visualizations and so many synesthetic experiences from doing calculus and teaching calculus to me brings up a lot of synesthetic experiences and they help to visualize calculus in a way that would benefit a lot of people because right now calculus education is very, very, very inaccessible. In, at least in the US, it's only offered as like a high upperclassman level course and What happens most is that, you know, marginalized groups and minorities that don't have access to it at a higher rate, it keeps them out of going into STEM fields because you have to have calculus to do computer programming. Mm -hmm. You have to have calculus to do um, any engineering. You have to have calculus to do any STEM-related yeah. field. And because of lack of access to calculus education – It's keeping people who should be included out. And that's not okay. That's not fair. I was completely unaware of that. That's my biggest, biggest passion project. My ideal, you know, job in the future would be to be creating and leading curriculum development for calculus. Yeah. So your mission is not only to use your synesthesia to just help students in general, but really help marginalized groups that don't have access to that specific part of mathematics to make a yeah. bigger change. And a lot of your synesthesia plays into calculus specifically, right? It was like the key that unlocked all of like my concept shape and all of that hyperphantasia around mathematics that I had never experienced before. Um, so I think what's so interesting and, and There's so much potential in the way you experience your concept shape synesthesia because you actually had the experience of people saying, oh, that makes sense for me too. And that's something very rare and delicate when it comes to synesthesia because we know for auditory synesthesia or OLP, like we spoke about before, it just doesn't make sense to other people. It's not like, oh, now that you say this song is red and blue, now... I can remember or whatever. It just just doesn't work that way for other forms of synesthesia. It's not like we're opening a door for someone else, for a non-synesthete. And also my concept shape synesthesia, I would say, other than therapy, I don't think it does help other people much if I would explain the way I do problem solving. From what you said, people do resonate with it and that's the whole potential of it. And I'm really, really intrigued to see where you take it. I think that 
the first time I saw somebody describing the experience that I have with that, with opening that door was when I read about the documented case of the visual mathematical synesthesia from that man who had a serious brain injury. Jason Padgett. Yeah. His TED Talk is amazing. And I remember watching it being like, wow, that's such a different experience from me. But then when he got to the end and he was like, well, I use it to explain things. And uh, he was tutoring his wife and his wife was like, oh my gosh, this is complete, like this, this way of describing it. If only, if only somebody had described it to me like this before, Mm -hmm. like that kind of, yeah, that kind of discovery of like, wow, if only somebody had explained it to me that way before. That was the first time I had somebody describe the same experience I've had for the past five, six years of being in education. It's 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 the exact same feeling where the way that I describe things because of my synesthesia is so fundamentally different in that it, it does that for people constantly. In the community meetup yesterday, I think it was um, one of the other people I was explaining something or I said something about how I do something with my students and they made the comment, well, I wish you were my math teacher. (laughs) I get that comment a lot. So it's mathematical synesthesia is just, I don't have the same like seeing it as he does, but as far as like how it affects how he teaches other people about it. It's the exact same experience. I'm just going to read the definition that we find on the synesthesia tree about mathematical synesthesia. Um, I think it does describe exactly what you just said. Some types of synesthesia, mainly the number-related types, can be considered mathematical synesthesia. However, it appears that pure mathematical synesthesia the highly detailed visualization of actual mathematical concepts is extremely rare and tends to be either an acquired synesthesia as a result of brain injury, for example, or one of the types normally only found in sevens, people with a, oh, I don't know how to say that word, prodigious talent who are usually on the autism spectrum. That's correct. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, right. That's the word. I mean, you clearly have a gift here, and I'm really just keen to see where you take it. Whoever wants to see the Jason Paget TED Talk, I'm going to put it in the show notes, I think, because it's a really good example of acquired synesthesia, right? It's not innate. He wasn't born with it. He had an injury. And then after the surgery or recovery, I don't remember exactly, he saw extremely complex beautiful and complex solutions in his mind's eye to mathematical concepts and I think he even failed school before he wasn't a very successful student and neurons had to find a new way a new solution and then he developed that form of mathematical synesthesia that wasn't there before Um, and it's very extreme it's highly fascinating the way he goes about life now compared to before so yeah, all very, very intriguing and, and complex. And But you, you are right. I do now see the clear line between those three topics. 
it's much yeah. clearer to me now that we discussed them in such great length um, next to each other. Um, and even though I said before I have all forms, I do not have mathematical synesthesia. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> that, that can't be on the internet. Me saying I have any sort of mathematical talent or synesthesia. Please forget about that. We're going to wrap up soon. Is there anything else left? So I do want to mention that I have... Uh, other neurodivergencies. I have diagnosed, I'm diagnosed ADHD, diagnosed OCD, and I definitely strongly uh, relate to a lot of autistic traits. Um, and especially with the the whole pattern recognition, that's so strong. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that my OCD wants to figure everything out and, you know, know everything, because that's a problem I have. And I will say that your coaching definitely helped with feeling like I didn't know anything and helped me um, kind of quench that need to know feeling. And it was so, so integral to me discovering my synesthesia. Like I will you know, scream that from the rooftops. Like it just, it, it helped me understand my own experience of my world. And I'm so much better equipped to share it with like my colleagues and my students because you coached me. So I'll be an ad. I love it. It was awesome. Oh, Jenna, that just gave me, oh, that gave me goosebumps from head to toe, honestly. Thank you so much. You are more than welcome. I love what I'm doing. And I'm so, so glad I could help you uh, figure that out for yourself. Thank you so much for those very kind words. It was such a pleasure to have you on. It was also such a pleasure to have you as a coaching client. Thank you so much for trusting me with your brain and stories. And I'm so excited to see where you will take it. Good night to texas even though it's only it's night in in austria it's not night in texas have a <laughs> lovely day today and speak soon bye bye you've been listening to let's talk synesthesia there'll be a new episode of series one every tuesday if you enjoyed listening you can like follow and share details about the podcast and how to connect with today's speakers can be found in the show notes the executive producer was Micah Pricing, with music by Corinne Anderson, and the podcast was supported by a couple more neurodivergent people in the background. See you next week.